Welcome to New Community Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to hear today's message. We are encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to touch lives. If you have a story to share or a prayer request for our prayer team, please email us at connect at newcommunity.co. Now please prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Good morning, New Community Church. How y'all doing this morning? Full house, I love it. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Spencer and I'm the student pastor here. And let me just say we're, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Shout out to all our new youth culture students and everything over here. Love you guys. Um, but we're excited that you guys are here today as we continue our series on villains, where we're discovering how to not become the villain in our own life story. And uh, we've had some awesome weeks so far. If you've missed out on any of the past weeks, I encourage you to go to our new website. It's absolutely incredible, newcommunity.co. And under resources, you can listen to the past uh, messages. And they're all great. And today's story, though, the villain that we're going to look at comes from the book of Esther. And if you have your Bibles this morning, if you would, just open up, it, uh, open up your Bible to the book of Esther. If you don't own a Bible, we actually have one for you in the seat back in front of you. That's our gift to you. We believe in the power of Scripture and that it should be living and active in our lives. So um, on, in that Bible, it'll be on page 262. And once you get there, if you just put your finger there, hold that spot for just a second. Um, and I want to dive into a little bit about what this story is. But before we do that, can I just say a quick word of prayer real quick? If you would bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds right now as we begin to read your word, that you would speak to us, and you would help make your word come alive in our lives today. We open up ourselves, and we, uh, we want your will today, and it's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. All right, so the story of Esther, let me just say, if you don't know it, you need to read it, because it is absolutely incredible. I'm talking like if Spielberg needs a new movie, these 10 chapters is a perfect script. He doesn't have to do any work, just find the people to do it, but... It's absolutely incredible. And uh, to give you a little insight, it's about um, the, the Persian Empire. And a king named Xerxes is one of the main characters that we're going to look at today. Also in, in the Bible, there's a, another name that he goes by, Ahasuerus. But we're going to stick with Xerxes. It's a little bit easier. Um, but King Xerxes, he's the Persian king, which is kind of modern-day India area, um, Ethiopia, that, that part of the world. And what happens in this story is uh, he's just exiled all of the people um, of, of Israel or the Jewish people, God's people, to his empire. He's brought them all there, and they're a part of his kingdom now. And in the story, uh, it starts off kind of strange. He actually exiles his own queen. He says, you know what, you're, you're disobedient to me, and I'm kicking you out. You can't be uh, the queen any longer. And so he goes on this hunt for a new queen. And uh, he searches throughout the land, and then we find our uh, key, our titled author here, or sorry, our titled character, Esther, she finds favor in the king's eyes. It says that she's very beautiful, and as he searches the kingdom, and as he goes from person to person, he finds favor with Esther. And Esther begins to be somebody that he falls in love with a little bit, and she becomes uh, the new queen. She wins the Miss Persia contest, basically, becomes the new queen, and uh, she is instated right then, right there. And in the story, it tells that uh, Esther was actually kind of adopted, if you will, by her cousin Mordecai, another one of our key characters you need to remember today. He's, uh, he's like her cousin, uncle, something really strange. I don't know if it was like Arkansas back in the day or what, but, uh, but he, it says maybe cousin or something like that. So uh, Mordecai has adopted his cousin Esther and has helped kind of guard her throughout her life. It's been her spiritual father, her um, kind of guardian throughout her time, and Throughout the story, Esther becomes queen, and Mordecai one day, while standing in the king's gates, he hears about this assassination plot. Some of the guards were a little bit upset with the king. Uh, I'm sure nobody's ever been upset with their boss before. That sounds crazy. Um, but they were a little bit upset, and they start to plan this assassination. 
And Mordecai overhears it. And luckily for him, he's got a little in to the kingdom, right? It's his, his cousin Esther, the queen. So he tells her about it. The guards are caught. They're killed. Everything goes down in the history books. And they write it down in basically the king's diary, right? Like Mordecai saves king's life, tells the plot, all this kind of stuff. Because of that, it says sometime after that uh, King Xerxes hires and promotes a new man. And his name is Haman. Everybody say Haman. All right, this is our villain for the day. You need to remember him. He's our key character. Intro, like the theme music, right? Like despicable me person, whatever. This is our guy that we're going to be talking about. But the king, Xerxes, he promotes Haman to this title of vizier, which means like a political advisor. He's basically the king's number two man. His right-hand guy, the one that helps him make every single decision uh, whenever it's important. And so uh, he promotes him, but not only does the king promote him with with a title, but he also honors him in front of the entire kingdom. He says to the kingdom, anybody, no matter who it is, if it's a a royal official, a nobleman, or or just a random dude hanging out in the courtyard, anytime Haman comes in, he must be bowed before. Everybody has to bow down, and they have to respect him and honor him. I mean, that's a pretty lofty privilege, right? Like somebody walks through the door, and everybody in the room has to pay homage, if you will. And so um, this is our villain. I'm assuming with such a title and so much Um, I don't know, honor and respect, you could probably get a little bit of a big head with this. And so this villain reminds me of a kid I grew up with. His name was Timothy. Um, And Tim, like, he didn't have some evil plot to, uh, like, kill the world or a superpower or anything like that. Um, He was just a winner. Anybody know winners? Like, they're in shape, they're athletic, they can win basically any game they ever play, and they frustrate you really bad. Um, This was Tim. And if that wasn't enough, he was the kind of person that he knew he was good, but it, it didn't stop there. He had, to let, he had to make sure you knew he was good, you know? Like boastful, like LeBron James. Anybody know like that whole little scenario? There we go. Yeah, now you're feeling it. Um, and if that wasn't bad enough, if you could imagine it gets worse, anytime I ever got ahead, if I, it was one point maybe, no matter what it was, if I took the lead, it went to a whole nother level. I'm talking like he would get more competitive. He would pout. He would cry. He would scream. He would even quit the game no matter how many times he had won. No matter how many times he had been ahead, it was never enough. He needed more accolades. He needed um, more wins under his belt, more recognition that he was the best. And that's why he reminds me a little bit of our character Haman. Because Haman wasn't okay with second best. What happens in the story is some of the royal uh, guys, they come to Haman. They say, hey, we've noticed every time you walk in, there's this guy, Mordecai, that he won't bow before you. And it's kind of a strange thing, and and we just wanted to know, like, are you okay with that? We asked him multiple times, like, why don't you do it? And he said, well, because I'm a Jew. And so Mordecai, it says uh, in Esther, I believe it's uh, chapter 3, verse uh, verse 5, it says that he is filled with fury. He's filled with fury. Now, that's enough that we could talk about today, but we're not focusing on the fury that he has. We're focusing on the reason that he has it. And it's because, just like my friend Tim, Haman was a prideful man. He let the views of others or, or the view he had on himself get the best of him lots of times. And, and whenever he finds out that this man won't bow before him, he begins to be filled with fury. He begins to worry too much about what he's, he's thought of by others. Now, some of us, we, we go through something like this, and uh, every once in a while, we feel that we're maybe entitled or we deserve something, right? That's basically what Haman was doing. He said, I've been honored by the king. I, I feel like I deserve some respect. I deserve to to be honored by every single person. And because of that, he, he got mad when somebody didn't do it. 
Now, some of us, we, we go through that, right? We feel like we deserve things sometimes. We feel like we work harder than other people, like we show up early, we stay late, we, uh, we put more into it, so we deserve some stuff. And what happens when we don't get what we think we deserve? We end up kind of like Haman. We start looking like the villain in our story, and we start to, to harbor some pride and some bitterness, some even anger like our, our villain Haman does. Because why? We, we want to be affirmed, Right? We all want to be acknowledged. We want to be recognized, and, and that's not a bad thing. It's the place that our heart goes that becomes the bad thing, and that's where we see Haman. Um, I could just imagine uh, in that time as all the people are walking through, this is in Haman's mind going, ooh, I wonder what these people are thinking. You know, imagine the water cooler of the royal gates. Everybody's hanging around. They're going, ooh, did you see that? He didn't bow. Like, I wonder what's happening, this maniacal plan that they must be thinking, and that's where Haman goes in his mind. And he begins to worry too much about what other people think of him, about what he thinks of himself, and about what he's going to do about it. And so if that wasn't enough in the story, we also heard that, that he found out that, that uh, Mordecai was Jewish. Now right here, this is like one of the huge plot twists in the movie where you need a prequel and like the backstory and all this kind of stuff. Because what happens is Haman is uh, of the, the, the tribe or the clan of the Agites. And it says that in your Bible. If you read there, you can underline that or circle it. And, and Haman, or sorry, and Mordecai is a Jew. So we've got the Agites and the Jews. And if you look back in the history books, if you look back in the Bible, these guys are enemies. You can go back to 1 Samuel and look at it. You can look at it wherever you want. But what happens, these guys have a history. They have a past. And I'm talking, it was not good. It was not pretty. This is like Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner. Superman, Lex, Luther, Microsoft, and Apple, like Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker. This is that conflict that we feel between these two groups of people. Because Haman knew what, what Mordecai's family had done to his. He knew that they had lost to him, that they had been defeated, they had been overrun by Mordecai's people. So it just got personal, right? If it wasn't personal already, this is like a yo mama joke in his face. He's like, you know what, my mama beat your mama, so I'm not bowing down to you. I can only imagine that's what Haman's thinking. And so it takes him not just to a spot of pride in his heart, but a spot where his pride becomes an outward problem, and it becomes, begins to turn into a plan in his life. He begins to look at what can I do to get this guy out of my life. And, and what does he do? He runs to his boss, the king. Holy crap, if it's not fair enough, right? He runs to the king of Persia, this huge empire, and he says, hey, uh, hey, king, I, I noticed we've got a problem. Um, and if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at it right here, Esther 3.8. This is what Haman says to the king. He says, there's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all of your provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it's not in the king's profit to tolerate them. And you know what? If it pleases the king, let it be decreed that they all be destroyed. Right? Just like a little side note. Uh, uh, this is what's happening. It's not your best interest, so let's kill everybody. That's what Haman says. That's what he presents to the king. Um, and we see that uh, what happened is his pride not only just began to, to do something in his heart, but began to do something in his life. He began to act upon it. He began to do things about it. Haman was, was a sneaky little dude. You know, he comes to the king and says, hey, there's some people that, that I don't think are, are doing the right thing. And, and here's the kicker right here. It's in your best interest if we get rid of them. How many times have you made a decision based on your best interest? And we could sit and think about that for a little while, right? How many times have you used your words? How many times have you used the power you've been given? How many times have you done something because it's in your best interest? 
that you would do it because that's what the king does here. That's what Haman convinces him, and he says, you know what, it's not in your best interest, so we need to do something about it. And Haman's pride becomes a problem. Pride makes a problem in our own lives as well. When we begin to allow our our self-image or the the image that people have of us to do something in our hearts, it it begins to make problems in our lives. And, And that's when we start seeing ourselves as a villain. If pride begins to start making problems in your life, you could probably say, hey, red flag, I need to start paying more attention to what's going on in my life right here. And, that's, and that's, uh, that's the problem that we have with Haman because if we look at the purpose that he was given, right, the king has promoted him to this high-ranking position. And the purpose of that position was to, one, build his kingdom, to build the kingdom of Persia. He's given him all this power, all this authority. People have to bow down before him when he comes in. But, but Haman's pride begins to do something. His pride begins to manipulate his power. The things that begin to, to fester inside of his heart, the things that begin to make him feel a little uneasy about who he is, about what other people think about him, begins to manipulate the power that he has. Once again, he's given the power to help make the kingdom better, to make, make the kingdom bigger, to do whatever he can. He's the number two, and his injured pride causes him to lose sight of his purpose and he begins to do things that are probably outside of his nature in general but because of this pride it begins to become part of his life we do this lots of times though we manipulate our power all the time some of us have have positions maybe at work that that we're able to to begin to like mess with the things and the and the lifestyles of others because we think we can get it our way. We think we can have everything that we need based on the power that we've been given. And that's, that's the unfortunate part about the story is the king says, you know what, if it's in my best interest, let's do it. And he doesn't just say, let's do it. He says, here's my ring. Here's my signet ring. Take this and do whatever you think is necessary. Now, if you don't know what that means, his signet ring was like the king's signature. This means every single thing that the king said, if he signed it with his ring, had to be done. And he hands it over to Haman and says, you know what, whatever you need, here you go, here's the power to do it. Talk about the favor, the authority that Haman had, the place of power that he was in to do so much good, yet because of what happened in his heart, because of the idea of who he was, he began to manipulate that power and cause a mass genocide among the Jews is what he's planning to do. He's he's basically the 5th century BC Hitler, taking on this power and this persona and going, you know what? It's my way or the highway, and if these guys aren't going to do it my way, if he's not going to bow down to me, if he's not going to listen to what I'm supposed to have the power and authority to do, then I'm going to take it in my own hands, and I'm going to do whatever it is that i got to do to get my will done. He begins to look out for himself instead of the good of others. The purpose that he was even given in the kingdom, to help the others, to build the kingdom, to do whatever he can do to make it more prosperous. And he begins to twist words and, and spin them on the king and make him sound like something else was going on. And, and so Haman's plan is approved. The king says, go ahead, do this. Whatever you need, here's the power to do it. And so he sets up this huge plan, and he plots it out, and it's months away, and he's got this the diabolical scheme, right? And he's just waiting, waiting, waiting. But it couldn't come fast enough for him. It says that, that one day Haman's walking out of the, out of the palace, and, and there again he finds the man Mordecai. All of the nobles bowing down, all of the, the royal priests, all of everybody important is bowing down. But here's that one guy, 
And it says that, that he's once again filled with this anger and this hate, this, this desire for revenge. And so what he does, he doesn't do anything there, but he runs home and he grabs his wife, he grabs his friends and he says, come here, I need to vent, I need to tell you what's going on. And here's what it says, Esther 5.11. It says, Haman recounted to them, talking about his wife and his friends, Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of all of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, even the queen, Esther, let no one but me come to the king's feast that she prepared. And tomorrow also I'm invited by her together with the king. And this is where I want you to underline, I want you to highlight it, make it bold, whatever you need to do. Yet all of this is worth nothing to me. So long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. I've got all the riches in the world. I've got this huge family. I've got a great job. I make great money. I've got the nicest cars, the biggest house. It's everything that I could ever thought I needed. But it's not enough. It's all worth nothing. How sad is that? Every single noble person in the kingdom would bow down to him. The king himself has privileged him. He said, here, here's my signature. Do whatever you need. Here's a blank check. Go do whatever you need to, need to do. The queen invites me in. Everybody knows me. But it's not enough. I need more. He wasn't happy. He wasn't content until he had everything. His pride blinded him from the blessings that he already possessed. And I think this happens to us far too often. We forget about what God's done in our life. We forget about what God's given us. So many of us have prayed time and time again, God, give me a job, give me a raise, give me a promotion. I need this. My family needs financial blessings. And what does he do? He blesses you. God, we want a, we want a kid. We want a son. We want a daughter. Please, the doctor said this, but we know you've got power. And he's given you that child. You have a home over your head. You've got food in your stomach. So many blessings that have already been poured out. But lots of times we sit there and go, oh, but there's, but there's one more thing. I need a little bit more. That wasn't enough. God, I know, I know that's all I wanted then, but now I need a little bit more. Now I need a little bit more. I need more people to know me. I need a higher status. I need more things. And we begin to become the villain when enough is never enough. When it's all about me. And we lose sight of the good of others. When it's all about what we can get, what we can inherit, how we look, what happens in our lives, we begin to look like Haman. We begin to have problems because of our pride. We begin to manipulate our power because of our pride. And all of it's worth nothing because we don't have enough. So as the, as the story ends, what happens is um, Haman, Haman takes his, the advice from his wife. She says, you know what you should do? Just kill him. So he builds a 75-foot-tall gallow. First off, that plays to his ego and his vein, you know, vein conceit, all this kind of stuff. 75-foot-tall gallows to hang Haman on. He builds it right out there so everybody can see what he's going to do. And he goes to the king. And that night, just so happens, the king wasn't sleeping well. Man, I think God has a great sense of humor, and I think it plays out right here. But, but Haman, or the king's not sleeping right, and so he says, hey, bring me my, my diary, the thing that we write down all the good deeds and everything that happens. And he begins to look in there, and he he recounts the, the time when somebody planned to kill him. He said, man, what happened there? Oh, there's this guy, Mordecai. He actually told somebody he, he saved my life, but I don't think I ever rewarded him. So what happens is, is he says, you know what, I think I need to do that. And as he's, as he's thinking, Haman begins to walk in the door, 
And he goes, Haman, come here. I've got a question for you. I need, I need you to help me out. He says, what should I do? What should I do for somebody who I want to honor? Somebody that I'm delighted in. And Haman walks in. He's like, oh, man, you know what? You shouldn't have. But he begins to take on that same egotistical view of himself where he's going, who else would the king want to honor besides me? I'm obviously the man, right? That song was written about, I'm the man, I'm the man. That was, that was about Haman. That's what he assumed. So, so Haman's sitting here going, what, what the heck? Like, I, I'll tell you what you can do for that guy you want to honor. Here we go. I got an idea. Um, let's give him some of your royal clothes. You know those really nice, silk, fancy robes that you got? Let's give him some of those. That would be really comfy, I bet. Um, let's also give him uh, the royal horse. Oh, man. Like, when people ride on that, you know they're fancy. That's got the 22-inch rims, like all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and he says, not only should we give him the horse, I got a good idea. We should put him on the horse and parade him around the entire kingdom and say, this is the man that the king wants to honor. In him, he finds great delight. He's so proud of him. And Haman's just, or he's just in there. He's just like, oh, this is going to be good. You know what I'm saying? And, and what happens is the king goes, oh, yeah, that's good. Oh, that's a good idea too. Yeah, let's do all that. And he says, awesome. You got the plan? Every single piece? You're not going to forget, right? He's like, no, I'm not going to forget. He says, go and take that, grab Mordecai, and give him every single thing that you just told me to do. Lord, so good. He says, go and reward the man that you had revenge for and that you wanted to kill. Go and find the guy that you can't stand, and I want you to bless him. I want you to give him all those great things that you thought about. Oh, I can't imagine how Haman felt in that moment. I can't imagine the, the face that he had to give him the robes with and the, the idea of him hopefully riding him around on that horse going, this is the guy, uh, the king loves him, and he's just sitting inside going, oh my gosh, I can't believe but what happens is because of this pride, because of his ego, because all of these things, he begins to get more and more angry. But the best part of the story, Esther and, and Mordecai, they, they tell the king what's happening. They foil Haman's plan. Haman is found out by the king. He's hung on the same gallows that he created for Mordecai, and they live happily ever after. But the sad part in, the part about the villain that we need to realize today is that his pride minimized his potential. The things that he had been given, the, the accolades he had, the power, the authority, the leadership, everything that had been placed upon him began to get minimized because he couldn't get over himself to do the purpose, to fulfill what he had been made to do. And Man, let me just tell you, that'll preach. Because so many times in our own hearts, in our own minds, we get in the way of God doing something great in our own lives. We get in the way of what God has planned. We put ourselves up into an elevated place trying to play God, trying to get his will through our want. And we begin to do whatever we need to do to make it happen for us instead of going, okay, God, I know you've got something for me. I know you've created me for a reason, that there's a purpose that I'm alive, and only you can fulfill that purpose. And Haman missed out on that. Haman had no idea what he was doing, that, that his pride was beginning to, to fester problems that begin to manipulate his power and eventually minimize his potential. And his pride limits, God, limits God's presence in his life because he was so full of himself that there was no room for God. There was no room for what God wanted to do in him, what God wanted to do through him. I can only imagine the potential that was there, how great that kingdom could have been had he said, you know what? Man, God, your will be done in my life. Not mine, not my plan, not whatever I want to do, but God, what do you want to do? 
God, what do you want to do in my family? I don't care what other people think about me. I don't care what happens at work. I don't care about the promotion. I don't care about the status. I don't need the title. God, I need your purpose in my life. But when we begin to focus on ourselves, we begin to become the villain in our own story. We begin to allow ourselves to ruin the plan that God had set out before us. And we ignore the example that he sent to us. The example of Jesus, God's son, sent down to earth to live this life of humility. Born in a manger, born in a barn with hay, mud, all these animals. Not in a royal palace, not in front of all the nobles, but someone sent in humility, lived a life of humility. Every time he did a miracle, it seems like he was saying, you know what, don't mention my name, just go and be changed. I just want you to be changed. I want you to be the best you. I want you to be who God created you to be and then died on a cross for us. Talk about an example of humility, not of pride, not of somebody that needed to be lifted up or somebody who cared about what other people thought about him. Our example, our role model, Jesus, straight away from pride and said, God, your purpose over mine. And that's our goal. If we want to remain, um, if we want to, to make it where we don't become the villain in our life, we've got to realize that we cannot worry about us and what people think of us, about what we think of ourselves, or about what our plan is, but about what God wants to do in us, what God wants to do through us. And it's such a, an incredible thing, even yesterday at the back-to-school fair, to see what God can do in someone when you're obedient. But your obedience comes first from opening up your ears and listening to God and saying, okay, God, what is it that you need me to do? And today we're going to have the opportunity um, and I just want you right now, if you would, just grab the note card in the seat back in front of you. If you're taking notes, I want you to really ask that question to yourself. And it's going to take some listening. You're going to have to shut off distractions. You're going to have to remove other things out of your mind and go, okay, God, I'm ready to listen to you. What area in my life have I let pride become a problem? What area in my life has pride begun to manipulate the power that you've given me? As an heir to the king, as someone who's carrying the kingdom of God, who is able to, to bring life through the words that we speak. God, what... What area am I manipulating that power? And God, what's the potential you have for me? What do you want me to do? I want you to take those notes. I just want you to write down what area of your life has pride taken over? What area have you begun to see? Or if you continue down this path, you would, you would see yourself becoming the villain in your own story. One that removes God's purpose and puts your plan in front of it. Because as we begin to identify that, as we begin to listen to God and go, okay, God, I, I understand this is an area of my life you need me to fix, then, then we begin to become more like him. We can be more like Jesus. We can have the humility of Jesus and begin to walk in God's purpose for our life. And what I want to do right now, I just want to ask you, if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, because I want to give the opportunity this morning, if there's someone in this room that says, I don't know Jesus I don't know who he is, but I know that story you just said about him coming down, living a life of humility, dying on a cross for my sins after he lived a sinless life, being punished for something that he never did, but he did it because he loved me. If you hear that story today and you say, I want to know that God, I want to have him in my heart and I want to live for his purpose in my life, and this morning you just want to say, God, 
I don't know you, but, but today I want to start that journey. I want to start that walk with you. I want to begin to trust you and to have you come into my life. If that's you this morning, I just want you to stand up wherever you're at, and I want you to come down to the front so I can pray with you this morning. One more second. If there's anybody in this room, I don't want you to miss this opportunity to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. All right, if there's no one in here, if you would just look up at me. I believe God has a purpose for each and every one of your lives. That there's potential in every single one of you. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, or what you think you can do in the future, God has a plan, and he wants to see it fulfilled. And today, we're going to say, God, we're removing ourselves from the situation. We're removing our desires, our decisions, whatever it is of ours that would get in the way. God, remove myself. If it's how others view me that I worry about, God, get that out of my life. If it's how I view myself, that I think I'm elevated, I think I deserve things, I'm entitled, God, take that out of my life. Or God, if I just want my plan instead of yours, remove that. Help me to be obedient to you. That I would hear you and I would obey you every step of the way. Not so that we would be known, but God, so you would be known. Today we're going to pray. And I want you to pray with me, whether it's out loud or whether it's in your heart. But I want you to ask God, God, what is it in me that needs to change so I can be like you? So I won't be the villain in my own story so that I can live with you and I can be more like you. If you would bow your heads and just close your eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We know it does not return void, and we know that, Lord, you're speaking things to us right now that it says your word is sharper than any sword, that it cuts and divides, Lord, even the hardest of hearts between bone and marrow. God, that you would right now speak into our hearts, Lord, that we would hear you and we would know in what areas, Lord, our pride has gotten in the way from us fulfilling your purpose in our life. Lord, we just ask right now, Lord, as we're hearing that, that we would not be one who just hears the word and doesn't do it, but God, that we would be active into taking steps to be more like you, that you would help us to have the strength to overcome our own pride, to have the strength to overcome, Lord, the thoughts of others, the, the ideas that others have put on us, but God, that we would only care about you and your will for our life. God, strengthen us as we leave. Prepare us for what you want to do in our lives, for what you want to do through our lives. God, We love you and we thank you, and it's in your name that we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen.